If you turn your Bible tonight to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, as we're looking at the Beatitudes. And tonight we come to the fourth Beatitude. As Jesus teaches us the characteristics uh, that belong to those who belong to the kingdom of God. And if you've been paying attention, there's a bit of a um, trajectory, there's a path here. Uh, as Jesus first speaks of blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt and, and need, need the Lord. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, those who not only acknowledge their sin, but grieve their sin, and in grieving it, uh, turn from it and turn to Christ and find life. They will be comforted. And then, um, blessed are the meek. And we talked about the meek being those who submit themselves gladly to the, the character of God, uh, the nature of God, the word of God, the will of God. And so that, in, in the third beatitude, we're, we're starting to see the path of discipleship. Um, to be a Christian means not only to be uh, have uh, to confess your sin or be have contrition for sin, but now to be growing by the power of God and the Holy Spirit in obedience and and meekness is submitting ourselves happily to the will and purposes of God. And now this evening, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How do we grow in sanctification? Um, and Jesus is uh, again teaching us. Uh, tonight, that the, the growth will happen as we pursue the hunger, the spirit-given hunger that, uh, that God gives for, for righteousness. And so let's, I'm going to read um, the first few verses here, the first 12 verses, and we'll be looking specifically at verse 6. And he, that is Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. <coughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Jesus, these are your words spoken from your mouth and meant for our ears. We thank you for them. And we, uh, Lord, ask that tonight again your spirit would come and teach us what we need to learn. Teach us what we need to know. Form us, Lord Jesus, by the, the power of your word into the beauty of your likeness. And we'll give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, tonight we come to the Beatitude speaking of hunger. Um, and... Um, one of the things that you don't have to be an astute student of hum, uh, human nature to recognize that people are profoundly hungry. Uh, people have deep longings that, um, that feel like they must be met, uh, desires that they want to have fulfilled. If you um, would just look at your own life, you'll see that your life is in many ways driven by the things that you're hungry for. The things that you deeply uh, long for, whether it be uh, security, comfort, reputation, pleasure, uh, relationships, whatever, whatever it might be, uh, it is the hungers that drive you, the hungers in a sense that uh, form you. And, um, and, and, and that's not a bad thing necessarily, right? God created us with hunger. Adam and Eve in the garden experienced hunger. 
uh, God has created us as dependent beings and hungers make us aware of the things that we lack and the things that we we need. Uh, One writer says this, because no one but God is self-sufficient, everyone else in creation has hunger, whether for food or for meaning or for love. A hunger is actually a blessing. It's like a, like a nerve ending that, that uh, when, a, when a nerve uh, lets you know there's an injury that needs to be uh, taken care of, hunger uh, lets us know that there is a, there's a lack, a need that God has given, and it drives us to seek out uh, God-intended satisfaction. Uh, imagine if you were never hungry for food. Uh, think of the delight you would miss out and the nourishment you would, you would miss if you never experienced hunger for food. In fact, it's the hunger that often makes the food all that more pleasurable and satisfying. But you need to eat, and so God gives you a hunger that you, that you, will, that you will experience that need to eat. Um, that, that, that's true for many areas of our life. If you never uh, longed for companionship, if you never hungered for intimacy, if you, if you did not desire um, beauty, uh, think of the, all the things that you would miss out in your life. Well, uh, Jesus tonight wants to wake us up to um, a hunger, a God-given hunger that's been devastated by the fall, but it is a, it's the most necessary hunger of all. It's, it's the hunger for life itself, uh, the hunger for life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, as we've seen in the, um, in the other Beatitudes, Jesus uses strong language in these Beatitudes. And, and, and so here, um, the word for hunger that he uses, it's a very strong Word, so it might be translated those who are starving for righteousness. This, this isn't a hunger that you feel at maybe ten o'clock in the morning, and you realize you missed breakfast, and and so yeah, you, you just sense, oh yeah, I forgot to eat this morning. Uh, the word here is you've been ten days in the wilderness with nothing to eat, uh, ten days without water. Right? There's a there's a craving for righteousness, uh, an all-consuming desire. For, for righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are uh, people who are driven by this, this insatiable longing for righteousness. One of the things that the Beatitudes are meant to do is to make us aware of what the kingdom of God is about and what kingdom people look like. It's it's meant in a way to um, be a mirror that we sort of can examine ourselves. Is there a, uh, do we participate in the kingdom of God as kingdom people? Is there, is there a confession of sin? Do we come as morally bankrupt people before the Lord? Or do we come uh, as though we have quite a bit to put on the table? Do we come, uh, do we grieve our sin? Uh, are we meek? Do we submit ourselves to the word of God? And, and here again, we find that same mirror. Are we people who hunger for God? Are, are we people who have an appetite for, for the Lord and for righteousness? You see, it, it's, a, it's a sign of spiritual health. If, if a person is sick, one of the evidences that they are sick is that they, have a, they lose their appetite. They don't feel like eating. Nothing sounds good. Well, and the same is true, spiritually speaking. When, when there's a spiritual flu... Um, people just don't have a desire for the things of God. It's not that they don't believe in them. The sick person believes that food is necessary and helpful. They just don't have any 
longing for it. In the same way, spiritually speaking, a church can be a place where people admit that worship is important, scripture, Bible reading, that, that's good, prayer is good, all of it is good, we're, we're just not hungry for it. We're willing to submit to it, but there's, there's, you don't get a sense, right, in, in, in that community of, of a longing for, a, a, a need for, that we must have God. We must have righteousness. Jesus is, is, uh, is calling us here tonight to examine ourselves and, and to examine our church body. Would we be defined as people who crave righteousness? Or would we be defined as people who acknowledge the, the, the value of it, but truth be told, um, we're not really hungry. Blessed are those with a fierce hunger. Uh, but what, what is the nature of this hunger? What are we actually longing for when we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, at the essence, it's a hunger for God himself. Uh, it is, it is, it is, uh, it's not a desire to be good. Many people can desire to be good with no desire for God. Gandhi wanted to be a good man. Gandhi did not desire God. Jesus, you see, is, um, is, is teaching that the hunger that the Spirit creates is a hunger for God himself. Uh, Gerhardus Voss, a, a famous theologian in the past, writes this, righteousness in Scripture is an idea saturated with the thought of God. Righteousness is the opposite of sin. And as the conception of sin is inseparable from the reference to God, so in precisely the same manner, the reference to God is inherent in the idea of righteousness. You see, Jesus, as he's speaking these words, he's speaking into a culture which does not understand righteousness. They think they do. Uh, the Pharisees would be uh, acknowledged by all as righteous men, and the reason is because they keep the law. But, but righteousness isn't about just keeping the external aspects of the law. Jesus, uh, as he confronts the Pharisees and confronts that whole culture, um, reminds them that, that righteousness is, must be saturated with, with God, with a, with a desire to know God and, and to love God. And, and so Jesus would, would say to these men, uh, using the words of prophet, the prophet Isaiah, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts were far from God. They had the right theology. They, they, they had the law. They tried to keep the law. But there was not a hunger for God. Just a, just a longing to know him, to commune with him. But if you read the Old Testament scriptures, particularly the Psalms, that comes through, that, that what this uh, aspect of righteousness, which is to know and commune with God, that comes through over and over. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Psalm 63, verse 1. 
Oh God, you are my God earnestly. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing that I desire besides you. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord God Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You see, the Psalms are meant to train our emotions. The the Psalms uh, teach us how we ought to feel when we think of God. Uh, when, when, we, uh, when, we have, when we think about what do we, what do we hunger for, this is, this is what we should, we should hunger for. And the truth is that um, so often in our life, it's, it's not what we hunger for. Uh, we, we hunger for other thi- for things, for relationships, for a pain uh, to go away, for, for good things. I mean, good thing, good gifts of God, but... Is the driving passion of your life this thing? To know God, to gaze upon God, to see the beauty of God, to experience God, to commune with God. One of the the evidences of a a vibrant, growing, fruit-bearing Christian is someone who is unashamedly pursuing God. They have a hunger for him. And be, because you see there's a hunger for God or when there's a hunger for God that is the sort of the fountain of righteousness then there's going to be a hunger to do his will. You'll you'll want to honor God because you love the Lord. Psalm 119 David writes, "Oh how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long." Uh, verse 70, I delight in your law. 72, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. He loves the words of God, loves the ways of God, the commands and statutes and precepts. David loves them. Why? Because he loves the Lord. Verse 57, you are my portion, O Lord, and I've promised to obey your words. Friends, that's, that's the hungering that Jesus calls us to. That's the thirsting that he's, that he's speaking of. This hungering and thirsting for God that, that moves to a hungering and thirsting for righteousness, to obey the will of God. Now, what, what's wrong with us then? Why is, why is it so common for us to not have this hunger? Well, I think it's just helpful very quickly to realize that sin has deadened our taste buds. That one, of the, one of the worst effects of the fall is that our, our taste, our spiritual taste, has been completely destroyed. Uh, there are certain surgeries that you can have um, that, that will destroy your ability to taste food. Uh, that's an awful thing to have happened. Uh, what the fall did, when, when Eve took the physical fruit of the tree, she lost her spiritual taste buds. And everyone in Adam and Eve's footsteps have, have lost their spiritual taste buds so that we're, we're still hungry, but our, but our tastes now go are bent, so we, we seek to satisfy the, the hunger for life and righteousness in God with, with the created things, not the Creator Himself. In fact, there's an aversion to the Creator. We don't like the taste of God. There's a, there's a bitterness to it. 
And you can, you can experience that any day. Just talk to people on the street. What do you think about God? And it will not be long before uh, the bitterness comes out. Well, how do you help someone whose taste buds don't work? Well, the Holy Spirit has to do that beautiful work of regeneration where he fixes that problem, which is exactly what he does in regeneration. He, 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 he changes that inner part of, our, of us so that there begins to be a longing for righteousness. Every conversion story, uh, this is part of the story. Where the person will say, I was, I was living my life, I was dead to God, I had no need for God, no interest in God, or I was just living a religious life, but truth be told, no hunger for God at all, and then something happened. Every conversion story will have that aspect. Something happened. And I began to, um, sin was, became increasingly displeasing. And I was hungering for something else. I was hungering for something more. One of my favorite uh, stories of conversion is, uh, is uh, on the, um, um, I'm not going to remember, Rico Tice. What's his, what's his book? Um, can I, all right, I'll, I'll send out my pastor's post. Some of you have studied that you've read this book. He's got a little study Bible on the, on the book of Mark. And Christianity Explored. Thank you all for your help. Um, <clears throat> Christianity Explored, on their website, they have a, a, a testimony of Deb. I've mentioned this before. It's just such a beautiful story. I can uh, just every once in a while just go back and listen to that. Strung out on heroin. It's Christmas Eve. Uh, she goes, she stumbles into a church. She's living with her boyfriend. She knows she's going to die if something doesn't happen. And she sits down in the back of the church and hears the gospel and just begins weeping. Just weeping. Because, because it suddenly became uh, clear to her that, that God sent Jesus and he died on a cross because he loved her and that he was willing to die for her sin. And it broke her heart. And, it, and, it, and she was flooded with a desire for Jesus and a desire to be like him. It transformed her life. That's the hungering and the thirsting of which Jesus is speaking. That's the beauty of regeneration. You see it happening in the prodigal son. Right? He, he's, he's hungry. He's a hungry boy. He wants life. He wants, he wants uh, friends. He wants women. He wants uh, drink. He wants money. He, he wants everything the world has to offer. Very hungry young man. And yet finds, obviously, of course, that none of it satisfies. And it all just becomes waste. And he ends up in the pig pen. But it isn't until he, 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 he comes to his senses that he, he hungers and thirsts for God. Uh, M Martin Lloyd-Jones said, when the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed upon husks. But when he was starving, he turned to his father. When he, when he, when he was at the absolute end of himself, then he, he found, um, came to his senses and was hungry for righteousness and went home. I think the woman at the well would be another example of, of someone that wakes up as she's hungry for all sorts of things. Who knows what she's looking for as she's going from man to man to man. But Jesus and his conversation awakens uh, a new thirst in her. As he says to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling to eternal life. And what does she say? Sir, give me this water. Jesus awakens a thirst for the water that wells up to eternal life. Blessed are those who have that thirst 
and that hunger. And it's a blessed hunger for several reasons. First, because it corresponds to our greatest need. You actually were created for God. You weren't created just to live your life in this world consuming and working, entertaining yourself. You were actually created for something vastly greater than anything this world possesses. You were made for God. You were made to know Him. You were made to be in communion with Him. You were made to be like Him. Blessed are those who realize that that is life. Blessed are those who realize then that apart from that, nothing really is worth living for. In fact, that all the things that we try to satisfy ourselves with are are starving our souls and we're dying apart from God. See, God gives hungers, as we said before, to to waken us to things that we need. And and when, when God gives you that hunger for himself, he is waking you up to your greatest joy. God-given hungers are intended to lead us to God-created joys. Blessed are those then who hunger and thirst for God because that hunger is going to lead to the greatest joy of your life. There is nothing, nothing that compares to the joy of communion with God, the joy of being by the Holy Spirit, being made like Him, being, being, uh, growing increasingly in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of it. As the Spirit is doing that work, leading you in those paths, uh, there's, there's, there are pleasures there that you, that you can't imagine. There's peace there that surpasses understanding. Joy that's inexpressible and full of glory is how Peter speaks of it. Blessed are you if you are hungry for God. But Jesus says specifically, blessed are those who, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. When you come to Jesus Christ in faith, when you, when you come to God with a hungry heart, Jesus promises to satisfy your soul. John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's the promise. Satisfaction. It's a promise that nothing else in this world is going to, uh, is going to be able to uphold or fulfill. Uh, the world promises us all sorts of things, even, even good things, right? The, how many people don't get married believing that now I'll finally be satisfied? Now I won't ever be lonely ever again. Now all my sexual struggles will disappear, right? Marriage is going to be nirvana. It's going to be, it's utopia. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be everything that Disney told me it was going to be. And those are the people who are weak afterwards are thinking, what in the world happened? How come I'm not fulfilled? Uh, The world will say, well, maybe you married the wrong person. Uh, Well, no, we just recognize that marriage was never created to satisfy the deepest longings of the heart. It was never created to fix you. Uh, it's created to be a vehicle where, where God does do great things, but, but God alone can satisfy. And the marriages that grow in our stronger marriages where two, where two people have recognized that God alone is our joy. God alone, as we, as we hunger for God, God can change us and make us the people that he's calling us to be. Congregation, my, the, the, as I was thinking about this message, it just, it just struck me again how critically important it is that we be a church that's growing with a, in a hunger for God. 
that it's, it's so easy and it's so tempting for churches, particularly churches that care about theology, to settle for theology, to settle for the right answers, to settle for the right way of doing things, the right programs. Um, we, we do it right. <coughs> Excuse me. And praise God if those things are true. Those are good gifts that God gives. But, but what pleases the heart of God and what brings life and health and peace to a church is God, is a hunger for God. Uh, when people walk in the doors of, of Harvest Church, they should sense a hunger that, that these people are looking for something and longing for something and tasting something that the world doesn't offer the world and the world can't provide. That there's a, there's a, there's a, a single focus here. We're going to get to that when we say, blessed are the pure in heart. Pure in heart people are people with have, have a single focus. One thing I ask, one thing I seek. When people walk into your home, it's what they should sense. These, these people are hungry. They're hungry for God with a beautiful, humble persistence. How does that happen? What happens as we ask for it? As we just confess, Lord, we are far too easily satisfied. And we are, um, we're so quickly distracted. We're doing a study on um, social media in our young people, and I won't continually pound on this, but it's just it's one of the things that struck me is the dev- one of the devastating impacts of social media is just the distraction. Tim Keller was asked, why do you think that uh, younger generations are having such a hard time with devotions? And he says, noise and distraction. Uh, why are, if, if, if you just look at your life and think, how can I grow in a hunger for God? Just Where do you spend your time when you're alone, when it's just you and you've got 15 minutes? Where do you go? What do you do? Do you take that time to reflect on the Lord as you're driving maybe down the road, as you're out for a walk? Do you, do you meditate on his word? Or are you distracted doing a thousand other things? Uh, th- this, this growth happens as we exercise it. It increases as we apply it, as we, as we ask God, Lord, make me hungry for you. I know some of you tonight will be thinking, I don't know if I've ever had this hunger. Friends, God can give it to you. I would encourage you, if, if, uh, if you notice other people and you sense there's a hunger here for God, the, this person loves God, is serious about having, uh, knowing God and, and following God, attach yourself to that person. Get to know them. Spend time. Ask them questions, particularly if they're elderly uh, and godly. Uh, there's so much to learn. Let's, let's be a church by the grace of God that's being marked by this beautiful beatitude of hunger as we feed on Jesus Christ Sunday after Sunday. One of the reasons God gives us Sundays and gives us worship is to increase this hunger, is to, to as he shows us his goodness, and he, as he satisfies our souls over and over, he's increasing our capacity both for hunger and for satisfaction. And so, and so participate in the Bible studies. Participate in the prayer meetings. Participate in the worship of the people of God. It's God's means of creating in you that beautiful hunger that he promises to satisfy. And one day, as we saw this morning, uh, one day there's, we're going to be home. And, the, and the, the, the hunger will be satisfied completely and forever as we have all of God in his presence 
forever, for all of eternity. Remember in, in chapter 19, we were told there's a wedding feast. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, where the, the, the longing of your heart to know God and to be like Him and to be done with sin, that longing is completely forever removed as you eat and are satisfied at the wedding table of the Lamb. May God grant that we all together will feast there together in the house of our Lord. Let's bow in prayer. Oh God in heaven, we confess tonight that we are not nearly as hungry as we ought to be. We confess, Lord, that the words of the Psalms are, are words that maybe we're familiar with, and yet the, the longing that they express, it's been a long time since we felt that way. Some of us, Lord, uh, do not experience our hunger because we're just tired. Some of us are, are so busy and distracted, we don't take time to feed on you. Some of us, Lord, are holding on to a besetting sin. We refuse to repent, and, and so our spiritual appetite has dwindled. Lord, whatever the case might be, I pray, Lord, that you would work a hunger for God and for righteousness in our life and in our church that we would be a church that's unashamedly pursuing knowing God and being conformed to his likeness, being useful for his sovereign saving purposes in the world, that, Lord, we'd be unashamed about that, that our, our passion, our desire as a church is, to, is for righteousness, the beautiful righteousness that you give. We thank you, Lord God, that you've robed us in Jesus Christ with a righteous not our own, and, and as a free gift. And we thank you that you're working then into our life the principles of righteousness as you are transforming us. Oh God, do that in power. And we will be satisfied as we, as we taste your goodness and feed on you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and close our service singing, uh, confessing our faith, our confidence. Uh, we will feast in the house of Zion.